0: M
1: S W media Prevail, c'est mm. un nouveau programme pro-politique. L'histoire, la sécurité nationale.
0: crime organisé, d'argent souci. Global corruption. La lutte pour la démocratie. Ahora,
2: et
0: maintenant A
3: Et maintenant Avec
0: vous, votre anfitrior Régonère. Régonère.
1: Régonère. Welcome back to the fight. This time I know
2: our side will win. I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show. Tom Kemp is here. Tom is a Silicon Valley-based CEO and entrepreneur. He wrote a great book called Containing Big Tech, How to Protect Our Civil Rights, Economy, and Democracy. It's being released on August 22nd. This is a fantastic book. He's got a lot of great ideas. And, you know, there are five companies in big tech that control basically everything and are so omnipotent they may as well be God in terms of what they know about us. Um, They're monopolistic. They sell our data. They harvest our data. And when it gets linked up with AI, it's going to be scary. Um, There's no mechanism. There's no antitrust mechanism right now that's being used against them. So, for example, Google just acquires YouTube. Facebook acquires Instagram and WhatsApp. Um, You know, this is how monopolies work. It's like the fucking Borg out there. So Tom's book is fantastic. He sort of talks about all the problems and then gives practical solutions for how to help them. And he's doing this in California. He's involved in policy work in California. What do you hear about this California Delete Act that that he's talking about? Um, I didn't even know data brokers were a thing, but they are. They're kind of like... uh, I don't know, I, I say it in the interview, like somebody Boba Fett would hang out with on Tatooine. They just take data, third-party shit, and sell it to whoever the fuck is willing to give money for it, right? Like anybody, any evil, evil entity uh, can buy your data. So, you know, we want to put a stop to that. And. Um, you know, Tom's got a lot of good ideas. So great interview. Really excited about that. Please check out the book. Go pre-order it, perhaps using one of the big tech uh, companies, Amazon.com. I'm sure it's available there. So stick around for that. Today is Bastille Day. Yeah, in France. So uh, to all my French friends and listeners... Uh, happy, happy. Uh, I'd like to remind everybody that the French Revolution started because the King of France chose to repudiate the debt of the government rather than raise taxes on rich people. So uh, there's a lesson there for the Kevin McCarthys of the world, for the rich Americans of the world who are funneling and pumping all this dark money into our system because they don't want to pay taxes. Sooner or later, that bites you in the ass, Right. Uh, go back and read about the French Revolution and what happens when debt ceilings are exploded because uh, you don't want to raise taxes on rich people. Spoiler alert, it doesn't end well for the rich people. Okay, uh, there's that. Threads. I want to talk very quickly about threads. Tom and I discuss it a bit in the interview. Um, guys, Mark Zuckerberg sucks. Like, remember? Okay, nobody seems to remember this. So, Kat Valenti on her substack, which is kat, V-A-L-E-N-T-E.substack.com, wrote about this (laughs) a couple days ago in a piece called Mark fucking Zuckerberg is not your friend, um, because I think we have to just keep this in mind. I'm going to read now a couple paragraphs from her piece, which you should all go read because it's excellent. Here we go. This is now Kat's words. Okay. Stop calling him Zuck. I swear to God, I haven't seen his full name in two weeks. He is not your friend. He is not anyone's friend. We are not going to memory hole the last decade of Facebook activity, strangling any brain in reach with a series of ever more laser targeted tentacles. This guy sold our data, including private messages, to Cambridge Analytica so that conservatives could lens their ads so finely, so individually, people were seeing and hearing exactly what they always wanted to, no matter what they'd always wanted to, with a kicky little Trump 2016 in the corner. He did the same thing for Brexit. He happily ran ads advocating for rape, beheading, and genocide against the Rohingya. He ran non-consensual, secret psychological experiments on users to see how they changed their stances when the news they followed had its content subtly altered. He allowed misinformation, including the very worst of COVID denialism and anti-mask, anti-vaccine lies, to run rampant on Facebook for years because it outperformed the truth. Facebook knowingly employed Coke-funded climate deniers as fact-checkers. He refused to fact-check political ads, remove Trump's calls for violence, or take any steps to stop authoritarian governments' manipulation of their algorithm and site at large. And no different than his supposed enemy Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg is a homunculus butted off the carapace of Peter Thiel, plausible xenobite, and definite actual vampire. Okay, again, that's from Kat Valenti, and I agree with every word. Um, It's a great essay, and she's fucking right. Guys, Zuckerberg sucks. Elon Musk sucks too, yes, but Zuckerberg also sucks. They both suck. It's just how it goes. So um, I realize that all of these social media platforms seem to be run by people that are really fucking awful. Spoutable is the exception. Chris Buzi is not awful. I don't know what we're gonna do here, but we have to stop, like, you know, believing the bullshit about these people. This guy is fucking bad. He's old school bad. So, you know, old school bad is still bad. That's just how it works. Anyway, enough about that. We're gonna talk about threads a little bit at the end with Tom. Um, we recorded this over the weekend, which was on Sunday, whatever this past Sunday was. Um, so anything that happened this week, we did not yet know about, although I don't think that much happened in terms of what we discussed. Great conversation. Again, his book is called Containing Big Tech. It is coming out on August 22nd. I was fortunate enough to score an advance copy. You should go get yours. Pre-order it uh, now because it's great. And uh, it's one of those books, you know, that you can, it, sometimes a book like this, you, you start to read it and it's too technical and there's jargon and you're like, what the fuck? It's not like that at all. This is a book that you can like give your mom or your grandmother, or, you know, say your congressperson, right? And say, here, read this. This explains succinctly and clear language what the fuck is happening and what we should do about it. That's the sort of book that it is. So it's it's really a great accomplishment uh, as a uh, document. And, uh, you know, and Tom's great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad, grateful for him for uh, shining a light on this stuff, because he could, as I told him at the end of the interview, he very easily could not. And he did. And, um, you know, he's doing a service for us, for humanity. So, uh You know, check the book out. Okay, enough of my prattle. We'll be right back with Tom Kemp.
0: You're old school GOP, a fiscal conservative who supports a strong US military, lower taxes and the separation of church and state. You don't like the QAnon crazies and MAGA insurrectionists who now make up the base of the party. But you have to appeal to them because you're a Republican member of Congress running in 2024. How do you process the guilt, shame and anxiety that comes with lying on behalf of a criminal traitor? How do you sleep at night knowing you've made life less safe for pregnant women, the trans community? and anyone near a lunatic with an assault rifle. How do you hug your grandchildren knowing that your policies on climate change will make the planet uninhabitable in their lifetime? Hi, I'm Nikki Haley, former Trump cabinet member and 2024 presidential candidate. I know exactly how you feel. I feel that way too, every single day. And that's why my doctor prescribed Cruzac. After just four days on Cruzac, all my crises of conscious just melted away. I don't feel anything anymore. Nothing bothers me. I say whatever I want and don't think twice about the larger repercussions. It's pure bliss. Ask your doctor if Cruzac is right for you, or visit our website at www.cruzac.ru.
2: Cruzak was only FDA approved because Trump said so.
0: Possible side effects
2: include diarrhea, hives, and criminal indictment. Do not mix Cruzak with alcohol, cough syrup, ketamine, or Viagra. If Cruzac doesn't work, try our similar products. Linsidone, Ella
0: Elastephanix, and Jim Jordistatin. Cruzak. because feeling nothing is better than feeling bad. And now, back to the show.
3: Tom Kemp, welcome to Prevail. Hey, great to be here. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm excited to talk
2: to you. Um, you have this book. It's called Containing Big Tech: How to Protect Our Civil Rights, Economy, and Democracy." I feel like this book is very well timed. I don't know if you know. There's been a lot of, like disruptive forces working, especially in social media lately. I don't know if you've been paying attention. So I feel like this book is very much of the moment. It's also um, it's really good. You did a great job with this, you know, easy to easy to read, easy to follow, even for non-tech people. Um, you have good um, suggestions at the end, helpful things for what, you know, people can do and for what the government should be doing. We're going to get to all that. Um, before we start, I just want to, um, you know, you've been working in Silicon Valley for a while now. You've you've done a, a bunch of different kind of uh, jobs there, different roles. So just for the listeners, walk us through some of your experiences out there.
3: Absolutely. So, yeah, I am a Silicon Valley-based entrepreneur, investor, and policy advisor, And most recently, I was founder of a cybersecurity company and the CEO of it. And I grew that to over $100 million in annual revenue. And so really got to see what the hackers were doing, uh, trying to go after our data and also corporate data as well. And in fact, we had many thousands of of customers. That was acquired. And then I shifted gears to being an angel investor. Um, So putting my own money into seed investments. And so I'm now an investor in. 15 uh, plus tech startups uh, in Silicon Valley and beyond. Uh, a lot of them uh, you know, work in the big tech ecosystem, use their cloud platforms, uh, et cetera. And then also over the last few years I've been heavily involved in policy. And so I worked here in California on a campaign for Proposition 24 which was the California Privacy Rights Act that gives uh, California's the the best privacy law in the nation. And then most recently, I actually uh, proposed and co-authored a bill that's winding its way through the California Senate called the California Delete Act, and maybe we'll talk more about that later. Oh yeah,
2: definitely, because that's yeah. I love the word delete when when it comes to this <laughs> stuff. I feel like that's um. Now you you <laughs> you say you're an angel investor. You've invested in these startups. I want I want the listeners to know anybody who watches the show Silicon Valley. You have behind you as we're recording this a, a prop from it, which is the a, a check made out to Pied Piper from the show.
3: Yeah. TechCrunch when they won the $50,000 and, uh, and that's kind of like basically the size of checks that I write to these startups. And so, uh, but I don't blow up my check and hand it to them. I just, I just wire it to them.
2: So you're, you're basically like a, a much cooler Eric Bachman is, yeah, that's the <laughs> Ehrlich. I can't even say his name anymore. My God. Um, but as you were As you were talking about that stuff, you were talking about hackers. And I want to I want to this isn't even on my list of questions before we get down to it. Hackers are, you know, are there really that many of them? Is is there an army of hackers out there doing this or is it the same like, you know, kind of smallish group of people that that's coming at this from different countries and stuff like that? Like, what what is the hacker community or I should say the nefarious hacker community actually look like?
3: Well, you have individuals um, and uh, some of the individuals could be like bored teenagers in are you know, in the basement at home. Uh, but it also scales up to nation states where I think probably the primary <laughs> source of income for North Korea is doing all the ransomware attacks. And obviously mm-hmm. we, we saw... What the Russians can do in terms of not only disrupting our uh, elections, but they have they do similar cyber terrorism, so to speak, Um, you know, mostly focused on citizens and businesses as well. And then the interesting thing is, is that they've actually put together cyber crime as a service. And so you can actually go to these entities and say, oh, I want to rent out uh, a ransomware uh, software, and they'll actually provide tech support to you so you can then uh, you know, wreak havoc with a ransomware request uh, against whoever you want to target as well. So it's a massive business. It actually funds North Korea. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on with Russian and other Eastern European nations as well. And then you just have the individuals uh, doing this as well. And then the lastly, that some of the cyber attacks takes place uh, and is done by disgruntled insiders, people on the mm. inside that, that grab the data, leak it because they think they can monetize it or use it to uh, get back at the companies as well. So probably about 20% of hacks at the corporate level come from the insider threats.
2: Inside the house. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, thank you for that. Because it's always one of these things like someone like, I don't have any interaction with that world at all that I'm aware of. So I, I, to me, I have I don't even know what to... Picture in my mind when I picture a hacker, other than I suppose the four hundred pound guy in the, in his mother's basement as Trump Boyden out, um, who did all the the uh, the DNC hacking that mis- that uh, mystical figure. Um, okay, so now let's get into the book. You start off uh, talking about and sort of comparing. What's happening now with the monopolies that that the tech companies have, with monopolies that we've had in this country in the past, which, you know, the United States, the history of labor in the United States has always been a history of monopolies. Um, the first part, the first sentence in the book talks about Leland Stanford, who's this, you know, this railway magnate. And I'm reading here, this is page 17 for people following at home. Uh, much like Leland Stanford connected the transcontinental railroad with a golden spike, Stanford University graduates, Bryn and Page, of Google used the surveillance-based pay-per-click model as the golden spike that linked the rail of free services with the rail of online advertising. That's a good paragraph. That's a that's well done. Um, so talk a little bit about that because I feel like Google is sort of the the key to kind of understanding how all this stuff works because it's a marriage of the two things as as you say.
3: Yeah. No. Well, thank you. That's actually one of my favorite uh, <laughs> paragraphs myself. So, and I really wanted to kind of tie the the bow uh, on that. But look, the the reality is is that the large tech companies have been unregulated from and not really threatened from a antitrust competition perspective. So they've been able to, for example, make 600 acquisitions and only up until very recently have people said at the FDC or DUJ said, oh, no, wait, stop. But the other big thing is they've been mainly and largely unregulated in terms of their actual core business practice, which is trying to collect as much information about us as possible. Because the thought process is, is that data can be used in some sort of way to sell advertisements to you. So the funny thing is, is that if you talk to the average person, they don't realize that the business model of Google and Meta and increasingly Amazon and a lot of Microsoft is actually selling ads uh, to you, right? Now, yeah. in the past, the advertising was used to, to obviously, the, this whole behavioral advertising model, collecting all this data was to serve you ads. But what's happened Um, over the last few years is that people have found ways to actually weaponize that data collection against you, especially in a post abortion America and where people LGBTQ trans people are being gone after. Right. Um, and And we've seen instances where people have used the systems of Facebook and Google, the advertising systems to actually discriminate against people and not show them for example housing ads. So the big difference between these modern day robber barons is that you know standard oil was powerful but they didn't know everything about you and that's the key differentiation. They literally know more about you than some of your friends, your family, etc and that can be bent in a bad direction and it's going to get worse as we start adding more AI that feeds off that data.
2: Yeah. I think that's, thank you for that answer. And I think that is an important distinction. Like we think of tech, we think it's a tech company. It makes this thing, but the reason we don't pay for it is because we are the, you know, we're the product in a sense. I, I forget who said that originally. It wasn't me, but um, if, if you're using something and not paying for it, you're the product. And uh, the data is the product. That's the thing that they can slice and dice and sell. So, and I think that in terms of data collection, let, let, me, let me push back just, I mean, I don't think this, but I'm going to push back anyway. Uh, I don't mind personally when I see ads that relate to me if they're if it's done well, it's like oh this is a nice service that I think that I might actually like and blah, blah blah. I've bought things that way before online. Lord knows I think most people have. You see something that pops up. Um, they often get it wrong. You know, if you're like uh, my toilet broke one time and I was like Googling toilets at Lowe's and then I saw like fucking toilet ads for the next two weeks. You know, it does dumb shit like that. But when it's done right. In theory, it should be elegant. It should be able to to uh, solve the problem of the company, which is, hey, we have this great product, and we want to get it in the hands of people that would really like it. To somebody like me, who would like a product like that. Unfortunately, that's not really what's happening, right? So, what, um, you know, why is it bad? Like, what, why should we care? I guess is the thing. Why, why should my mom might say, I don't, I don't care about this. But why should she care? Why should people care?
3: Well, there's a couple of reasons. So first of all, um, you know, one third of the internet are kids under 18. Right. Mm. And I don't think it's, if someone was collecting all that information about your kids in a physical world, you would call the police and say they were stalking you. Right. Right. Um, And so I don't think it's healthy to collect personal and behavioral data about kids and then serve them ad, especially at that age that they're trying to discover who they are, right? Yeah. And so um, they may question their sexuality, right? And, and so therefore, I don't think it's appropriate to then have that type of data or inferred data being used to serve, but they don't know if it's a kid or not, or they don't actually, actually they do know, but they don't care, number one. Right. The second thing is, is that there is categories of personal information that's very sensitive. And so just recently- Various uh, companies were found, uh, pharmacy companies were found to be, if you go to their website, sending data back to Facebook about things that you were buying online through the pharmacy, like Plan B or researching HIV, etc. I, I mean, so there's one thing about having a toilet follow you around, but <laughs> do you really want like uh, Plan B or HIV or Adderall ads following you around? I, so I think there's an issue, but it comes. But at the end of the day, is it, it really should be about your consent? You should actually agree to say, "Yeah, no, I'm I'm cool with you doing that." But there should be limitations. There should be a ban on behavioral advertising for kids. There should be a ban about the use of sensitive personal information, such as healthcare, uh, about reproductive health, et cetera, Because that yeah. same information about the toilet can be if someone in Idaho looked up an abortion clinic or did a Google Maps to an abortion clinic in Washington and got directions because now that's actually illegal to go out of state in Idaho and get an abortion so it can be weaponized against you
2: that's crazy i I you know I, I learned about the Fugitive Slave Act when I was in uh, in high school and I never thought that the the mechanisms of the Fugitive Slave Act would ever come back to be relevant in the here and now. But, you know, here we are. And uh, yeah, no, there there are things, um, you know, with our privacy that I think should be kept secret. I mean, even you have, it, it just occurred to me, like when 23 and Me and these other like, um, you know, uh, DNA companies came out and, oh, we can help you find your relatives and do so that. Like they, there was lots of unintended consequences, even of that, which seemed pretty benign and which Everybody who signed up for, signed up for it. It wasn't something that, you know, Google went around doing without people's consent. But, you know, you had like cousins you didn't know you had. Oh, my sister isn't really related to me. Like lots of weird shit came out from that that I think wasn't anticipated. And that was in the best possible, I think, circumstance of at least in terms of consent um, that we have. So for non-consent of these things, yeah, it's it's definitely Definitely now, dangerous.
3: Look, I, I think we just need we should be able to say, OK, you know, if I sign up for 23andMe, I should say, OK, I have no problem with some guy in Iowa calling me up and saying that, hey, we we share the same DNA and you're my long lost cousin, um, et cetera. I, I elected to do that, but I did not elect when I went to a pharmacy website and I'm looking for Plan B or adult diapers, et cetera or that to then turn around, be sold to thousands of companies who now know that I potentially need adult diapers or Adderall or anything else. And that's just, you know, that's just, that's just crazy. It,
2: it is sort of mind boggling when you think about that. I was reading the thing about the Google and and uh, you list in the book, like, oh, you can go to this website on Google and they show all the information. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to even do it for I don't even want to. Like, it's going to scare me. I think to see how much information they have. Um, is it? Do they keep it safe? Like, is it linked in such a way? Is it? Is it encrypted? Or can somebody that works there just be like, I'm going to look up Greg Oliar now and see what's what?
3: Well, here's the thing: is that that Google and Meta say they don't actually sell the data; they sell kind of access to the data et cetera. Right? But here's the problem. The problem is when you have so much data, it's like a huge honeypot. Um, and Facebook slash meta was actually hacked five or six times in 2019. We're talking about this hack was 500 million records. This was 300 million. We're talking billions of uh, users having their their email address, their phone numbers, other information hacked. So that's a, when when you have too much data sloshing around that people on the outside are going to try to target and get that. But then you have the problem on the inside. And so, oh, I don't know, about six, seven years ago, it was like 53 engineers from Facebook were fired because they were actually going in, looking up women that they were trying to date and seeing their locations, et cetera, even got to the point that one software engineer at Facebook Based on tracking the location of the of a woman in Facebook, purposely would go to a park where she, he knew she jogged, right, and would actually, you know, try to meet her. And he was using that information. And just recently, the FTC uh, sued and reached a settlement with Amazon that people at Ring were actually looking mm. at videos of people of like inside their house, bathrooms and and all that stuff. I mean, even Tesla was found uh, or alleged it was it was found that engineers at Tesla were using the cameras to see like, hey, oh, that's cool. That guy has another kind of car in his garage. Well, I don't want some dude at Tesla, you know, using my Tesla cameras on my Tesla car to see inside my garage, uh, et cetera. And then, of course, in the case of Cambridge Analytica, that the they let their partner certain partners get access to the data and the guy and they don't put any guardrails up and so we had this dude Alexander whatever his last name was I'm drawing a blank right now but uh, yeah. you know he he just sucked up the data and and there was like a couple hundred thousand people that used his third party app on Facebook and in the end he he got 87 million the complete dossier of eighty seven million people uh, on Facebook, most of which were Americans, and of course, first Ted Cruz, then Donald Trump, uh, use that data uh, and to try to persuade people um, and by playing on their fears. So the issue is is just when you have too much data, it just becomes too attractive to outsiders, to to insiders, and it leaks out to third party partners as well. and uh, And we should have control. We should have the right to say no. I mean, and that's what we yeah. fundamentally don't have.
2: What about? I I agree. What about the Internet of Things? Because I've heard that that kind of thing, like you know, your you have a smart refrigerator or something. And the, um, is it? Are hackers really that good that you know they can get into your house and just watch you through any any camera anywhere? Like, is that really real or is that less of a threat than people maybe think?
3: It actually is real, but I think it's. I'm not going to. Dump on the big tech companies, per se, because a lot of the users will actually use very simple passwords for Nest or Ring, etc. And so a lot of the hacking attempts or the actual hacks that have occurred have been uh, people, because they don't have... good passwords or their passwords have been stolen, et cetera, that then they have full access to your IOT devices as well. It actually turns out, I know the first question was about hacking and who's doing it Mm -hmm. and why they're doing it, et cetera. It turns out that about 70% of all hacks involve stolen passwords, right? Um, and, um, And they steal, they either guess it or they get they they steal it by hacking one site and because we share passwords across multiple sites, et cetera. And because all these IoT devices are controlled by usernames and passwords, that the bad guys can get at it as well. Now, clearly the tech companies that uh, run, operate, produce, manufacture can probably say, hey, let's require multi-factor authentication, like get a text message, et cetera. And they don't. So Part of the blame is they need to build in more security for their own devices, but we have an issue that more IoT devices means more usernames and passwords means the the greater the likelihood that someone could be taking over your refrigerator and you know watching you in your own internal nest cams.
2: Wow. Okay. And IoT is Internet of Things. So, which I like that phrase. I I find it very poetical. The Internet of Things. I just yeah yeah.
3: It, it's it's amazing that we have. There's 8 billion people in the world. And I think right now we're at well over 20 billion IoT devices. And that's going to like double in the next few years. So in the end, you know, every individual will probably in a few years have, you know, the equivalent of five or six IoT devices, which, of course, include your phone. But then you've got cameras, cars, refrigerators, watches, Mm. um, et cetera. And which means all this data exhaust uh, that we that these devices, as well as what we put out is being collected and it's trying to be monetized. And it's a damn shame that in the United States that we do not have a federal privacy law. I yeah. mean, that's the that is like like the oh, my God moment is like you, you we have no rights because the, the word privacy, as we painfully know, from the repeal of Roe v. Wade is not in the U.S. Constitution. And that was the basis for Roe v. Wade. And so um, we need to be able to have a federal law. We have some at the state level, California being the best to to actually give us some privacy rights. And I should also say privacy is in the is in the California Constitution as of, I think, 1972, et cetera. And that worked to the to uh, pro rights advantage. I think in Montana, because it turned out that they had the right of privacy in their constitution as well. But most states don't.
2: Okay, yeah. Now I remember. I think when, back in '08, even people talking about how that should be a thing. Like somebody should run on that, and to, you know, we, we demand privacy laws. Is that something that theoretically would appeal also to the MAGA crew? They seem pretty paranoid to me. So, um, you know, a right to privacy. I think it's a it's easy to spin that as a good thing for most Americans, I would think. So
3: it, it actually is. It has wide bipartisan support, but there's two issues that are uh, that that there can't be agreement. The, the first of which, which is, it's actually really funny because you would think that the Republicans would support the right to preempt. So basically, if you pass a federal privacy law, and, and in my case, I want that to be a floor that the states. Can continue, as Justice Brandeis said, to be a elaborate democracy and improve upon it. Mm-hmm. But the Republicans actually want to preempt state law and say, no states can come out with anything that's better or up up above, because they want to satisfy the business aspect, where the businesses don't have to worry about California cracking down on a, a new new issue, et cetera. So the Republicans actually want to have the privacy law be a ceiling. Right while okay. most Democrats want it to be a floor and be able to add to the federal standard etc, which actually kind of flips on the head that kind of the hypocrisy of a lot of Republicans that are about states rights right. but except when it comes to a privacy law we don't want states rights we want to ha- <laughs> we want to have like the lowest common denominator and you can't go above it the second issue that's been stopping us for a federal privacy law has been a private right of action where the Republicans don't want the ability for people to sue Google or Facebook or, or mm. anyone else for violating their privacy rights because they're, they're worried about lawyers going crazy, et cetera. I think there's ways to actually compromise on that. Maybe you can limit to like if your if your username and password information has been stolen, uh, et cetera. But th- th- those are the two big bugaboos uh, that are actually holding it. It just kind of goes back to the core uh, dysfunction that we have in our politics uh, yeah. between R's and D's that we can't get something as basic as a. Federal privacy law, um, and so now it's we're up to ten states that passed laws. Two more are about to go go live. So twelve of the fifty states will have their own kind of patchwork set of privacy laws uh, to address this problem.
2: Well, that that's good news, um, and maybe it'll just keep happening. I mean, there's no you know the argument about the floor and the ceiling. Meanwhile, it's just a big fucking elevator shaft, right? There's, there's <laughs> no nowhere to find purchase on this thing. Um, that's not great, and the hypocrisy is always there. Ron Paul. Not Rand Ron running. I'm a libertarian. The government shouldn't interfere with anything other than abortion. Then it's okay that you know when it's a medical thing between a woman and the doctor. Then I want the government there, but not for anything else. Not for it, it just makes no sense fundamentally. But I don't think that it's supposed to make sense. I, th- I think it's supposed to be uh, you know not that way. So um, okay, this is a good time to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Tom Kemp.
1: Our world is powered by innovation. The products and services created by Big Tech have transformed our lives in ways we could never have imagined. But with great power comes great responsibility. Big Tech's intrusiveness and our dependence on them have created pressing threats to our civil rights, economy, and democracy. Tom Kemp's book, Containing Big Tech, takes a deep dive into the consequences of the weaponization of our most sensitive data the problematic ways Big Tech uses artificial intelligence to process and act upon our data, and the stifling of competition and entrepreneurship due to Big Tech. But there is hope. Containing Big Tech offers actionable solutions and a clear path forward for individuals and policymakers to demand change. To learn more on the threats of Big Tech and how to contain it, pick up a copy of Containing Big Tech at your local bookstore or order online or by visiting containingbigtech.com.
2: Okay, we're back with Tom Kemp, author of Containing Big Tech, How to Protect Our Civil Rights Economy and Democracy. Okay, we before the break, we were talking about... Um, just laws and how it, through the states now it's going to be uh, a dozen. Is New York one of them, by the way? No. Mm. Come on, New York. Let's go. Come on, Hochul. Let's do this thing. Um, <laughs> I worry about, I feel like a lot of the reasons why big tech has been able to be, to uh, avoid uh, legislation for as long as it has is because what they do is beyond the grasp of of A lot of people that are in Congress, we have, especially in the Senate, a very, very old group of people there who, you know, and and that's not there's nothing wrong with that. But older people tend not to be as great with tech or understand it as well. Everybody knows what a train is and that, you know, linking the trains. There's no there's no problem understanding the, the theory behind it. But some of this stuff is not, you know, it's not simple to understand in the way that these past technologies were. Um, You know, how do we educate them? Like, what do we do with, with, with something like that? We just wait? I mean, I don't know.
3: Yeah. I, obviously, everyone remembers um, Senator Hatch, you know, asking you know, Zuckerberg, well, how does Facebook make money? And he was like, Senator, we sell ads, right? (laughs) And then just recently, uh, you know, there was, I think, I don't know if it was a senator or congressperson kept on referring to, you know, his iPhone when he was uh, asking the CEO of Google. And it was like, sir, we don't make that. (laughs) That's (laughs) that's that guy uh, right there. And then most recently, uh, you know, Republicans were complaining that uh, big tech was cracking down on their mass emails right? And the the Google CEO had to explain that there was actually within Outlook, there was a tab, you know, called promotions where the emails were going in, you know, <laughs> it wasn't being shoved into the inbox as well. So we, we do have an issue. I mean, this is, um, yeah. this it's hard to keep up, right? And uh, even if you're a, 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 you know, an expert, because things change so fast. I mean, look at the growth of AI that's happened. Um, and you have a lot of people that may May have been in their past life car dealers or you know aides to senators, et cetera. It's like it's really tough to keep up. Now I do have to give some credit to some of the people, um, uh, um, Democrats on the Republican side. You know, for example, Senator Grassley. You know, hats off to them. He's with there with uh, Klobuchar doing an antitrust bill for for big tech. So I got to give props to one of the oldest senators that that has something out there. Actually. Uh, Uh, Senator Lee in Utah is trying to uh, break up, have a law that breaks up the monopoly that Google has in in ad tech uh, as well. So it's evolved greatly, but we still have a long way to go. In fact, one of the reasons why I wanted to I wrote this book was that, like, you could hand it to your congressman or your senator, et cetera. And, you know, it it wasn't I didn't want to have a huge academic article. I just basically wanted to say, hey, here's my experience being in Silicon Valley, both as an entrepreneur in the big tech ecosystem, as an investor, as a policy person. And, you know, I'm just trying to simplify here are the issues and try to connect the dots. And the dots obviously are over collection of data. The increasing use of AI and the fact that these guys are monopolies, right? And, ex- and the fact that their anti-competitive position in the market and their market dominance actually exasperates the problems of privacy and what we're going to see with AI because there's no one there to actually challenge them right that that it's very difficult for us to get up and and move on I mean we stick around Twitter and it's a it's it's not optimal uh, but because we already have our friends in the way uh, going about doing things and there's a, a core lack of interoperability with the big tech platforms they preference their own products in their own marketplaces uh, etc that that exasperates problems that we have with privacy and uh, AI bias and exploitation
2: that's interesting it it um Whenever I feel like when you have like a Grassley working for something like this or a Mike Lee it's not clear yet almost to anybody where this is going like i feel like mike lee definitely has some nefarious reason for wanting this to happen because he's a fascist but uh so i don't know what it is but um if he thinks it's popular or it might just be he personally thinks it's a good idea josh hawley is also i think kind of interested in some of this stuff too um you know in ways that maybe it'll it'll work together it reminds me of the post 9-11 period when you couldn't couldn't figure out who was doing what anymore it was strange you know
3: i I think a lot of the Republicans, they're anti big tech because they worry uh, about like the fact that there's a lot of big tech people. They're based in California. They've historically supported Democrats Mm. and they didn't like the fact that there was censorship of of Trump and uh, what they call censorship of, of banning him as well. And so, you know, so I think that they're trying to score points and kind of work the umps. Um, yeah. to allow kind of free and whatever you want to post, no matter how much disinformation, extremism, et cetera. They just want the flow of information to go out and algorithmically you know, have it be pumped up, et cetera. So I think that's part of their motivation. But there are some really good Republicans. There's a guy, Ken Buck in Colorado, that. He was with Cicilline uh, on the the House Antitrust Committee, um, and he kind of had that uh, come to Jesus meeting where he, he attended a meeting and he, he heard how small businesses were being impacted when they try to go on amazon and 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 how amazon you know really charges a lot for this that and the other thing uh etc so i think he got religion on that but unfortunately what's happened was uh mccarthy put uh massey to be in charge mm-hmm. of the uh, antitrust committee as opposed to ken buck so there's been a big step backwards but at the but one big thing i, I also want to bring up you cannot ignore the fact that big tech spent over Over the last two years, they spent a quarter of a billion dollars in lobbying to kill the various antitrust bills and other bills that try to regulate them. So at the end of the day, you know, they're just like you know the robber barons standard oil yeah. they've got their people they've got their astroturf organizations out there mm-hmm. um there, there's one organization i'll probably get some flack for for bringing them up i do uh, on the air here but uh, i bring them up in the book called chamber of progress like they're supposed to be like the liberal guys right the progressive people but they oppose uh laws associated with age appropriate design to to make sure tech products are designed better for kids. They oppose the antitrust. Go down the whole list. They basically oppose everything, right? But they're supposed to be like the progressives, right? Yeah. Um and 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 they all say, hey, we want a federal privacy law. You know, so they think they're on the right side by supporting it. But then in the end, when you actually sit down and have a conversation, like, well, what do you want in the federal privacy law? It's like watered down, right? So yeah. even if they admit that they want something um, and you can agree on that, then there's a, a huge gap in terms of what's really needed, et cetera.
2: Okay. Interesting. Um, so what's this? There's this thing called, what is it? Section 230. Is it 230? Do I get the number right? Yes. Okay. So what is that? My, my understanding is that it means that um, online platforms like Facebook and Twitter and stuff cannot themselves be held responsible or sued for content that appears on those platforms. Um, I don't know if I'm oversimplifying it, but what is it? And
3: is it good in your opinion or should it be reformed? What, what do you think? Okay. So section 230 is part of the Communications Decency Act, right? And uh, some privacy organizations have said that's like the Magna Carta of the internet. And it basically says that if you're a platform provider, you're not responsible for the content that is on your platform. So if you... I don't know. Have a social you come up with a social media platform. You can't be sued because some person said something really nasty, uh, et cetera, right? And in fact, that there was a case that recently just got to the Supreme Court that a uh, young woman uh, with the last name gonzalez, she um sadly was killed in Paris. Uh, via that ISIS attack that happened a a few years ago where they attacked different bars and restaurants, et cetera. I think about 190 people got killed. And her family sued Google saying that radicalization occurred on YouTube. Um, They were fostering it and they were algorithmically pumping these videos out. And then also, believe it or not, that there were collecting advertising dollars. ISIS was actually getting money because they had websites, uh, et cetera. And uh, that actually made it to the Supreme Court, but it was left unscathed. Um, And there was a similar case uh, against Twitter, et cetera. And basically, in in the end, that online platforms are not responsible for the effects of violent content posted by terrorist groups. Um, And that was actually written by Clarence Thomas, right, um, and uh, Section Two Thirty escaped its brush with death, right, uh, right there. But I do think things can be reformed, and you can, for example, I do think you can require that the platforms have that you should, as a consumer, have the ability to object or raise a flag about content. And you can regulate that the platform providers have to get back to you and respond, okay? Furthermore, I think that if there's something illegal being done, that you have to – you can be able to flag it, and then if they determine if it's being illegal, like – you know, child trafficking or selling drugs, et cetera, they have to report to the police as opposed to being completely hakuna matata. Hey, that's okay if there's drug trafficking going on or, you know, trafficking of people, et cetera. No, they, I think you could have laws that require that if if something illegal is happening and it gets explicitly flagged to them, that they have to report it, respond in a, in a timely manner. So I think those are the types of reforms you can do that puts more onus on them to be responsive to the content um, as opposed to completely hands off. So that's kind of what Section 230 is. It gives uh, organizations, platform providers, carte blanche to not be liable for anything that happens. Where it gets really interesting is that when the platform providers start algorithmically amplifying specific content, do they actually start becoming a publisher as opposed to simply being a neutral mm. platform. Oh, that is um, And yeah. I think that needs better exploration um, right there. And I think there's things that you could do, and I think you can put them on notice um, if they start overtly amplifying. And the first way to do is you need to require big tech to be able to uh, open up to researchers, uh, the type of ads and what stuff gets amplified. So then they can then do the analysis and go back and tell big tech, your, your algorithms are, are over amplifying extremism or disinformation, et cetera.
2: That is a really interesting point. Because yeah, if you stop and think about it, what an algorithm is doing, I mean, algorithms are, they're not humans, but it's, they're still, they're editing, they're cure, it's curation you know it's curation of content and curation of content is a you know that that is what publishers do in a sense so yeah that that's an interesting argument to make i hadn't that had not occurred to me um or you mentioned ai before uh there's obviously a lot of of um uh fear around ai because um you know, in in the world of science fiction, we've have now a long body of work where pretty much every science fiction writer ever has determined that AI is going to take over humanity and kill us all. Um, and it's going to be some like, you know, nihilistic, um, hubristic, genius, mad guy who wants to make a lot of money that will be the one to do it. Um, and you look around now and that seems to be what's happening. Um, on the other hand, I've heard reasonable people, um Dave Troy among them argue that no actually it's fine it's it's not what what everybody is afraid of it's it's very controlled right now it can only do so much i guess my position is that computers can't even figure out like what a fire hydrant looks like to break into something so maybe we're all right but um what do you what's your
3: opinion on ai well you know ai is taking algorithms which are you know mathematical formulas or preset coded instructions and it's the evolution of those algorithms being able to learn and evolve right and so and and that's why they're starting to you know become more human like in that they can actually you know have some element of reasoning and decision making that can occur that evolves based on the data flowing through them as well um and they have been able to get to this point because of the mass amounts of computing power that can be applied to it as well as the mass amounts of data uh, as well but we've had ai for a number of years i mean you know i mean stock trading etc was basically done by algorithms that were getting smarter uh, etc but we now have a lot of ai out there i mean i have a tesla i mean ai does identify uh, a bike versus a fire hydrant to some degree right there um i Obviously, we have Siri and Alexa that uses uh, natural language processing, which is a form of AI to help interpret and understand what we're saying. Um, I'm very encouraged and excited about the use of AI from a medical perspective, doing a better job of looking through test results, uh, et cetera. But I think what's really happened in the last uh, year or so, it's the whole generative AI that's really – Raised awareness where people can now see that you type something, you know, you type a cat in a spacesuit, and all of a sudden, it, it, there's a picture of a cat in a spacesuit based on that, you know, three or four words of text, or the fact that, you know, you can write your college essay using generative AI, uh, etc. And what I think is that at the end of the day, it does need regulation because what the big tech companies, for example, were doing was using the over-collection of our data to pummel us with ads. Now they're gonna do what TikTok does, which figures out you know, via the signals that we send with us swiping right or skipping a video, They're going to start doing that same thing to try to make their products more addictive to keep us on their platforms as Mm -hmm. much as possible. And in the case of threads from Meta, they now have a huge additional source of data, textual data that they're going to integrate in as well and try to keep you hooked right there. So I think that we do need to put guardrails, especially for children, like no more autoplay, Um, and uh, no collection of their sensitive uh, data, um, et cetera. I think, especially that could be used from an AI perspective. I think there needs to be an openness uh, regarding AI, especially about specific algorithms that can be high risk, um, that you may have to certify them uh, as well. But at the end of the day, I also think we need a standard bill of rights for AI as well, much like we need a privacy law to be able to say, hey, I object to this decision making that's purely being done by a machine that has rejected me from from college, has rejected my loan, has, uh, you know, done other things to me as well. We should have the ability to have human intervention, because oftentimes these tech companies don't even know what their algorithms they don't even know how the output came out right they don't they can't Mm -hmm. even you know explain it to me why i got rejected for this loan i don't know the, the 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 system said you're rejected you should have a right to to object and have have some form of a human intervention you should have a privacy food label equivalent and if i look at some a picture or uh some an article I, I should know if that's been generated by a computer or if it's human generated, um, et cetera. So we need a core set of human rights to introduce transparency and, and allow us to say no.
2: That's great. That's a great answer. Um, thank you uh, for that. Okay. So by the way, when I said fire hydrant, I meant like the captcha things, you know, where it's yeah, like click on the thing. That's a fire hydrant. It's like, how can really, we can't, they can't figure out how to do this. Um, so, <laughs> All right, so of the big five, which is Amazon, Apple, Google, Meta, Microsoft, which is the least evil?
3: I would say uh, probably Apple, um, because their core business is selling us devices and services um, that advertising is only, I think, a 5 to $10 billion part of their business, and they're trying to uh, not use behavioral data and sell it to other entities, etc. That being said, that the biggest issue that I have with Apple is that they're a monopoly. And say, for being in Silicon Valley, um, say I wanted to create a company that sells mobile apps. And obviously, there's really only two platforms, iOS and Android, right? iOS is the operating system for iPhone. Android is for Google devices that Samsung and LG and other people sell right there. The fundamental issue is that they both platforms require a 30% cut. Okay. And so if I sell something uh, through them, then 30% goes to them. I mean, that is incredibly high transaction fee. Yeah. Um, for any marketplace. And and so that 30% means that I can't hire more engineers or do marketing, et cetera. The second issue that I have with Apple is they preference their own apps, right? So, for example, um, Spotify, uh, I think, uh, is suing Apple about this is that they want to come out with ebooks and audiobooks, right? Well, they have to, if people buy that through Apple, they have to pay that 30% and they can't they're not allowed to through apple's uh you know policies to specify that oh you can actually go to our website and not have and, and buy it for, well, more cheaply because they have to give the 30% uh Uptick to to pay off Apple, but Apple because they also are in the ebook and audiobook, they don't have to they don't pay that thirty percent. So they they mm. provide a marketplace, but they participate in the marketplace. the The other issue I have is Apple can sit there and see what are the most popular apps being downloaded, and Amazon does this too, of course, in their marketplace. And in the case of Amazon, all of a sudden, if it's a hot selling. A uh, dog bed or something like that. All of a sudden, there's an Amazon Basics. You know, two months later for a dog bed, the complete because they've take the advantage of having the flows of data and seeing what's the most popular. They don't have to do any of the research and development. They just clone it. And Apple has the same thing. Google has it because they operate these marketplaces as well. So Apple is probably the best in terms of not collecting as much data about individuals, and they don't do the whole surveillance. Uh, behavioral advertising thing. But in terms of being a monopoly with the self-preferencing, the overcharging uh, for transactions and um, using their platforms, uh, that needs to be addressed because it it really stifles the ability for a startup to say, oh, I want to come out with a mobile app. It's just too expensive.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, that's something I didn't even think about. I'm not going to ask you who's the most evil because I think everybody, everybody knows. Um, yeah. I don't know what the answer is. Who's the most evil, but um, Zuckerberg is, is, he's got to be on uh, on the short list and everybody has flocked to this threads thing all of a sudden. And it, it feels insane to me. I mean, in 2016, I mean, they, you know, the Facebook thing you wrote, you wrote about it in the book here. Uh, let's, let's find this thing. Okay. Um, False information being deliberately spread to influence public opinion has heavily shaped our politics since 2016. For example, in the 2016 U.S. presidential election, there was, per Robert Mueller's report, sweeping and systemic Russian social media disinformation. After Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg initially brushed off as a pretty crazy idea that fake news on his platform influenced the 2016 U.S. election, Meta subsequently admitted in late 2017 that over 126 million Americans saw Russian-linked posts that were designed to sway the election. This number represents nearly half the number of U.S. voters at the time. Um, Given that Trump is probably the worst thing that's happened to this country in my lifetime, like, why are you going to trust this guy now with another thing? I don't understand why people are doing this.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't know. There's just so many things that, that Meta does um, that is infuriating. Um, and literally, I live in Menlo Park. I could like ride my bike and be there in 10 minutes and like take, you know, take the photo before it had the big thumbs up right there. So they're 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 within walking distance of, of where I live uh, right there. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, you, you first had the 2016 where it clearly their platform was used to help sway the election. Then they had the they they denied it was a data breach, right? But the definition of data breach means uh, you know the the use of the data for non-intended purposes, and that clearly happened with Cambridge Analytica. Mm-hmm. And and then you had you know massive amount of hacking, as I mentioned earlier, where a billion over a billion. Uh, bits of information about uh, consumers were stolen. You have the fact that they have in the past said, oh, well, we're gonna, why don't you give us your phone number so we can introduce multi-factor authentication. Um, And then they said, Then they took that, the fact that you gave them your phone number, and then they started like sending you text and then having that as part of the data that people could advertise against, as opposed to the purpose which they asked you for. So the list goes on. And unfortunately, we're kind of in a situation of that something bad happens. They profusely apologize. Then we move on to the next thing as well. Um, And at the end of the day, we just have to just get serious about having a federal privacy law, and we've got to get much more serious about throwing the the Bork school of of anti- Chicago school of uh, antitrust and seriously look at you know anti competitive behavior uh, that they have. But yeah, Threads has a huge set of users that that can sign up. The inst- all the Instagram users can sign up for it, so it's not surprising that you know 30 million of the one billion, like three uh, percent, decided to check out Threads in the first day. They have over- Instagram has over a billion users, right? Yeah, so, and it skews
2: young. I mean, all the kids use it. You know.
3: Yeah, and so maybe this could be an alternative texting, you know, mechanism. I, I personally, I'm not. I, I have. I decided like I signed up for Mastodon. I signed up for Post News. And then I'm like, should I do threads? I'm like, uh, probably not, especially because they, they only have the for you, which means I get everyone and anyone. Oh, yeah. And I, yeah. I, I, I want to have just to be able to look at the people that I follow. And that's what I really care, because I, I kind of want it more curated just for the people I care about.
2: Yeah. And, and it can't and it doesn't work in Europe because it's against the law there because of all the privacy stuff. So exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of and you can't delete it ever um, without deleting your <laughs> Instagram. So this is what I found out. I I got into, uh, somebody um, invited me to Blue Sky. So I've been on Blue Sky for the last three days, which is great, except that nobody can get into Blue Sky yet. So it's kind of like, I guess, a a model town that they built before the people show up. It's like a college campus before the freshmen come. I don't know, it's weird. And I don't think he's any better. You know, Jack Dorsey is, he's got his issues too. Um, I think this is all caused The fact that that people don't mind Zuckerberg now is because they hate Elon Musk so much. Like, I, I feel like, we should when we're making the, the laundry list of reasons to hate Elon Musk, making Mark Zuckerberg seem kind of OK has got to be on that list. It's, it's like Trump making W seeming kind of OK by comparison. I don't know.
3: Yeah, no, it's it's funny because, um, yeah, like is he, the, you know, of all the people that would be the savior, uh, it would be Zuckerberg. Right. <laughs> you know, so. But yeah, look, I, the, the fundamental issue is we still have too much power and too much Dominance of core markets in the hands of very few entities and organizations. Yes. Um, and that's just not healthy for our democracy, our society, et cetera, that uh, you know, being in Silicon Valley, there are – like if someone were to say, hey, I've got a great idea for a startup. I'm going to do a search engine. Like people would just start laughing, right? You know, so that billion-dollar-plus market is now completely off-ground. Right. You know yeah. that you can't. It's it's a no fly zone. Right. It's like it's like, why don't you put on some wings with some tar and start <laughs> flying towards the sun because, you know, you're going to fall. And then same thing with mobile operating systems. It's a no fly zone. Same thing with social media. It's incredibly hard, you know, to, and then in the end. So we're just dealing with just a few small, you know, not small, we've few small number of entities that are huge, that are completely controlling you know, key aspects of our society, our democracy and have an undue influence. And of course, we haven't even talked about, for example, the news industry that that, you know, Google, Facebook, aggregate the information so people are not clicking on the actual articles and they're not collecting any any ad revenue at their own site because people can get the summarized view of the news from Google News and the Facebook news feed, et cetera. Now, obviously, the 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 journalism and the press has had issues, you know, Going before that, but they've exasperated, and so, so all the issues are exasperated by this market dominance, and it makes the other problems of privacy and AI just worse because, in effect, these entities are too big to care to actually change the way they go about doing things because they don't have any startups that are like nipping at their their heels and saying, "Go with us, we're the privacy centric, uh, you know, company."
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's the same. Everything gets so big. Then they cut their, they start laying people off, then the services suck, and then nobody has anything that's useful or good. That's that's the pattern with this stuff. So okay, let now what, what I really like about the book is that you offer solutions. You're not just like, here are the problems, and then you walk away. Like there's things that you say to do, that things that individuals can do themselves, you know, to make themselves more uh aware of privacy concerns and stuff like that, and and legislation that we should demand and 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 have. Now you mentioned at the beginning the the California Consumer Privacy Act. and then the California Delete Act. Um, Tell us a little bit about those things and how they came about and what they do, how they protect
3: us. Yeah, so just at a high level, companies that we directly interact with, that's kind of, call it first party data. I directly interact with Walgreens and Walmart and uh, Google and Facebook, et cetera. And so what the California Consumer Privacy Act, which was amended by the California Privacy Rights Act, CPRA in 2020, it gives us some core rights, the right to know what's being collected about us and the right to say no to the the sale of our data as well. And so, um, so that's kind of like first party entities, first party data. But it and and we do need a federal privacy law. And fortunately in being in California, we do have a, a pretty robust law. But then there's turns out, there's always a but, that turns out that there's these entities called data brokers that we don't have a direct relationship. We never interact with them. They're shadowy. We don't even know who they are. And what they do is they They collect our information behind the scenes. They buy information from various sources, and they sell that information, and they create these huge dossiers of us, right? And so we have no freaking clue who they are, who they're selling it to, et cetera, and they can just be as uh, intrusive and knowledgeable to the point where if you actually want to track an individual, like there was a catholic newspaper that had some suspicion about a priest so they went to a data broker they bought the location information associated with that priest mobile phone and they were able to track the priest going to gay bars right i mean that was a journalist that that was able to track an individual i mean so that's the type of stuff and of course the big fee oh another example is a anti-abortion group in wisconsin through data brokers bought cell data uh uh, or location data, I should say, of individuals visiting Planned Parenthoods. And they were able, using an advertising network, that as you were entering a Planned Parenthood and you were looking at your phone, you were being served anti-abortion ads, right? I mean, so that's wow. this is like crazy stuff happening with data brokers, uh, and they'll just sell it to anyone with a credit card. And so what I proposed. Uh, here in California, and fortunately, my local state senator, State Senator Josh Becker took this up, is something called the California Delete Act, where it requires the data brokers to register. And then it gives, and so so they step out of the shadows and say, I'm a data broker, I, I sell data, collect and sell your data. But it also requires at the same time that the government create a website where you can go to and you put your, as a consumer, you put your your name, your email address, your, your mailing address, et cetera, you hit go, and it goes out there and deletes all – it requires the data brokers to delete all your data in all their databases as opposed to trying to figure out who they are and then contacting them one by one, which oh, wow. is virtually impossible. And so basically, this is the big delete button. Um, and it's the thing that it's most equivalent to is the FDC's do not call registry for telemarketers. Right. Mm, now right. people say, oh, well, I still get some telemarketing calls, but but at least there's a law that regulates them. And it and no doubt the do not call registry cuts down on hundreds of calls as opposed to some, you know, and the other people are are breaking the law when they do telemarket you as well. And that's the most popular government uh, website. There's like over 250 million Americans have signed up for the do not call. And uh, so we we've actually passed the California state Senate with SB 362, the California delete act. It's now on the assembly, but we have some, some opposition. Who do you think is opposing it? The same entities that opposed all these other things as well. So it's going to be a tough battle, but you know, the second you explain that we give you the ability to hit the delete button and have these, again, these it's not like a, a delete button to delete your Facebook data that you have a direct relationship. These are like companies. You don't have no clue who they are. They're collecting all your data, yeah. and they're selling your data. And so you should have the right to be able to tell them and say, delete my data. And, and that's what the California Delete Act, and it does it. On mass, it will do it for the hundreds of data brokers that are out there for you, Um, and that would be an amazing thing to have. and uh, And so we're battling to get that through, and that's exciting. That that wearing that hat of doing policy work, um, you know, really charges my battery as well. That's
2: terrific. I mean, we definitely want that. It will kill an entire industry of scumbags, though. How how will they... I feel like these are people that Boba Fett would have hung out with on Tatooine. Like, these are not, like, you know, they're not doing anything. Well, you know,
3: they they, said... They have been found guilty of selling data about elderly people that they know like had dementia to like scammers. Like there have been like lawsuits and FTC uh, consent agreements with some of these people. They have sold information. They sell information about military people. Right. And, And you can track where soldiers are in the world. Right. Which could obviously be exploited by other nation states as well that they have sold data about people coming and going from abortion clinics they have sold data about people that have downloaded a uh muslim prayer app to the federal government right so the federal government bought like all the users of this muslim prayer app was bought by uh one of the government the federal government agencies as well this is not healthy right for uh Individuals, society, our democracy, etc. And again, it's really about giving the right of us to say no. Right? That this is our data. This is what we admit, and we should be able to, you know, hit the big delete button. And say no. You should not be able to sell my my personal information about me going to a pharmacy and, and buying, uh, you know, Plan B or or going to a medical app and researching HIV. That's just not cool.
2: Yeah, or anything for that matter, like without without our consent. I think it, yeah, you know those are the dangerous things. But I don't want them knowing anything. You know, the the less they know, the better. Um, so okay, so I we're we're, we're pushing on an hour. I don't want to keep you too long. Um, the last two, uh, the appendices in the book talk about um some of the law stuff, which now you've gone into. I think you know pretty well with with, with things that can be done, and I think these are things that reasonable people want. I think these are things that if um, if Biden ran on this, if Biden Harris, you know, made this something that they talked about on the campaign trail, they're going to find that people are going to want it, and it might be one of those things that the Republican nominee we'll have to just get in lockstep with because it's going to be ridiculous to vote against it, you know, to protect who the data brokers fuck off, you know, and then therefore coming out of that, maybe something nice will happen just because of the election cycle. Um, But I want, I, I I like that you have the chapter in there or the appending the appendix in there about what individuals can do. So before we go, what are, what are like two or three things that people can do like right away quickly to help them um, achieve more privacy with their data?
3: Yeah. So, it's about limiting the amount of data that can be collected about you. And so ironically, to give you a feel for how hungry people are, that uh, Apple came out with this feature and they even come out with ads called App Tracking Transparency or AT&T that blocks third parties from collecting your information, already 96% of People have turned that on. So if you're part of that 4% and have an iPhone, turn on app tracking transfer. That blocks the data flow to third parties. And the interesting thing is like a month or two after Apple came out with that, Meta announced a $10 billion revenue shortfall (laughs) because of sources of data were not going to be sent to them as well. But unfortunately, that feature only exists on the iPhone. We don't have it on our PC. We don't have it on an Android device. So there is uh, from a group called uh, EFF, they have something called Privacy Badger. It's a plug-in Mm -hmm. uh, that you can put on your browser that blocks third-party cookies that do all that data collection. Absolutely put that on Uh, for Android Naturally, Google's an advertising company. They don't have something equivalent to Apple's ATT, but you can download the DuckDuckGo app. You don't have to use them for browsing, but if you install the app, it actually blocks all the third-party trackers. So the first thing is block the third-party trackers, okay? The second thing is is that for your social accounts, and especially do this, make sure this is for your kids. If they Set them to private, okay? Unless you're, you're someone like yourself, Greg, where you want to attract, you use yeah. it as a platform, et cetera. But for for most average individuals that are, are trying to interface with friends, the reality is is that that if they if you make it public, then people are going to scrape that data. Um, and there's all this concern that your data is going to be used as part of the AI systems to you know, like they generate a portrait and it turns out 50% of it came from your photo, right? So 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 block that, right? Um and then also I talk about security things that you should do like Actually, do setting multi-factor authentication on your 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 key accounts, um, and there, there's a bunch of other settings that you can set as well. But the reality is is that if by simply turning on the blocking the third party, and that take you about a minute to do on your phone and on your your PC and turn it on Apple, that will actually shut off you know, probably 60, 70, 80 percent of the data that's being collected about you right off the bat. That's the big win. But you're you're right. I wanted to put something in the book where like, give me a few, you know, easy steps for you know, parameters I can set, things I can do. Um, and it makes a big difference. Like, look what happened with Meta. They said, okay, we're 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 lowering our guidance by $10 billion because people are starting to turn this stuff on. Um, and uh, because they're, these companies, they, they thrive on your data. That's all. That's their whole business model.
2: Yeah. Don. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for writing this book. I mean, this is, a, this is a super useful book. Again, it's called containing big tech. How to Protect Our Civil Rights, Economy, and Democracy. And you could very easily just rest on your laurels there. And good on you for, you know, really trying to give back to the to the community uh, and the country and everything. And, uh, yeah, it, it, thank you for, for doing that because a lot of people wouldn't. And, uh, you know, I appreciate it. I appreciate the work that you're doing here in this space.
3: Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate now, it. Um,
2: Speaking of social media though, so where 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 can people find you? You're still on Twitter right until it dies, which might be by Friday before this this might it might be gone before this comes out, but uh but what's your Twitter handle? Because it's not your name, it's something else. It's
3: yeah, it's at Tom Kemp 0 Um if you're more of a professional person that does LinkedIn, I'm at LinkedIn slash Tom Kemp, uh, so feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, and then um, I do have a website, Tomkemp.ai, um, where I got more information about the book. Uh, you can watch a video about the book, uh, as well as uh, I got a big old blog where I you know write about the latest and greatest things that are happening and, and, and provide updates, for example, on what's going on with this Delete Act. And I'd love to have other states, you know try to do something similar as well.
2: Yeah, so that's something people can do. People can call their state governments and be like, let's get this thing going. We, can, we, we want this, damn it. We want it. Tom Kemp, thanks so much for joining me today. This was great. Thank you. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fossa. Zarina Zabriskie, Marie Kost, and Martha Akuna provided the introduction in Ukrainian, French, and Spanish, respectively. Voice talent is by Stephanie St. John, Tally Briggs, Michelle Cantor, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hawkey, Kenai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail Substack with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the column and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. And until next time, we shall prevail.
0: M okay. media